You are listening to Episode 8 of the Bass Guitar Worship Blender Podcast. Welcome to the Bass Guitar Worship Blender Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Hasiker, and I'm here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. And we are, uh, we're, this is our eighth episode of the podcast, and it's been a while since the last one, so <laughs> yes, we, we apologize for that, but we've got a good reason for it. And the reason for that is we moved. We moved, yes. And so, uh, and it's been quite a process. <laughs> and uh, the good news is that we're in a great new house now, mm-hmm. and we've got a great new facility for the worship blender. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a little chapel area of the house. It's about 800 square feet, which is wonderful. A lot of space to work with and mm-hmm. record the podcast and do more videos and things like that for our video channel. And, uh, but the one thing that I, I didn't realize when, well, I should have realized this, but uh, <laughs> when we built it, and of course, you know, the floors, they're not hardwood floors, but they're vinyl, so it looks like hardwood, but there's no carpet or anything like that, um, is I, I didn't realize how echoey mm-hmm. it was going to be. <laughs> this is actually a recording I did in the house when we were building it once all the walls and everything were put in. <laughs> so as you can hear there's quite a bit of reverb there so um taming this room which we have not done yet has been a been a bit of a struggle but uh also we're not we're, we're kind of in the adjoining storage, storage. room so we're, all, we're nice and close and chummy right, right now so that's that's nice but it's we had to kind of move into the storage room just to kind of kill some of that uh reverberation mm-hmm. and, and everything else so um so that's been another struggle of the room is just figuring out okay we got this great space but mm-hmm. the last place we we're recording our house that we came from was right. very dead and this one's very alive <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah we're, we're working with that too but anyway we're moved in now that's great that's fantastic we're very mm-hmm. happy about that and so we're ready to uh to get going on some more podcasts yes it's exciting First segment, Worship Around the World. Now that the podcast has been out for a little while, we've got some stats now um, from our, our podcasting host as to how well we're doing and where uh, all the traffic's coming from. I really thought it was interesting to kind of go over all of the different countries that are that are listening into the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, we've got over 3,000 listens now, and we've got, now obviously we've got a lot from the United States, but surprisingly we've got a lot from other countries too. Um, just as an example, of course, the United Kingdom's got quite a few, that's about 6 or 7% of our audience, and you know, Canada's about 5%, Australia's about 2%. We also got some other countries there like the Philippines, Norway, Indonesia, Sweden, Puerto Rico, Germany, 
Um, but if you even get further down the list, and then Turkey, uh, Brazil, France, uh, let's see, India, Denmark, and Spain, Mexico, uh, United Arab Emirates is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, Czech, Czech Republic, mm-hmm. Poland, um, and there's one that's interesting, Cambodia. Mm-hmm. You, you've been to yes, Cambodia before, haven't you? I have, I have been to you? Cambodia. What's it, uh, what's it like? What was, what's worship like over there? I think probably one of the things I like best about worship there was they were very interested in learning American songs as well as their own pieces mm-hmm. from their own native language. And so to hear them speaking, um, in Khmer was cool, but to hear them singing in Khmer was even cooler. It was really neat to hear worship songs that I knew in English mm-hmm. uh, being sung in a different language. And just really, uh, it touched me because we'd be singing side by side in our own native tongue. And then we'd hit some words that were the same, like hallelujah. And every once in a while, we'd be singing the same word. That's cool. And it was really cool. But uh, it, it's really um, minimal in terms of uh, it's not blown out like here in the U.S. where we have to have 65,000 guitars and tons of pianos and 85 singers. It really is just vocally led with good acoustic instruments of all kinds. And it's actually very intimate, even in big settings. I really enjoyed uh, mm-hmm. listening to both um, Cambodians and Vietnamese who are refugees in that country also mm-hmm. doing the same thing, which right, was cool. Neat. And roughly how long ago was that when you did that? That was probably about 15 years ago. 15? Mm-hmm. On a mission trip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I've never, I don't, yeah, no, well, I <laughs> only, well, that wasn't really a worse. That was a wedding at a, at a, at a Catholic church in Mexico that mm-hmm. I, that I've been to, but there was no music or anything. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't, I I've, I've never had, I've, I've never experienced worship yeah. out of mm-hmm. country. So, mm-hmm. um, it, to me, it seems fascinating to know, okay, I know how it's done in this country, but how is worship done in other countries? Right. And so since there's so many people that are listening to this podcast that are actually out of out of the United States, mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool to hear from a lot of those listeners to find out what worship is like in their home country. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash worship blender. Wait, base. <laughs> let me say that again. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash bass guitar worship blender and that'll take you to our facebook page we've also got a link there to our facebook group um, but either one of those places and you can post your experiences of of how worship is in your home country in your home church or you can also even post if you've got videos mm-hmm. or anything else like mm-hmm. that that you want to you know post links to that would be cool too and so i think that'd be really cool to kind of go through and you know, just get get a lot of good experiences mm-hmm. from the listeners out there, and we could also kind of do a little summary of that on a, on a future podcast. Right, it'd be good to be like around the world. Yeah. That would Absolutely. be really cool. So yeah. like this around the world trip of just experiencing worship, whether it be in a small group that you're a part of or an actual worship service at your church, that would mm-hmm. be really cool. Yeah. And just hearing from all corners of the earth, that would really mm-hmm. be fascinating. Yes, it so, would. So Absolutely. If, so whether you're in Cambodia or you're in Finland or Japan or, or wherever you are, yeah, please go to that Facebook mm-hmm. page and tell us about what worship is like for you. Yeah. I'm interested in that. That'd yeah, be cool. Absolutely. Cool. 
it's story time. Okay, so let me tell you a story that occurred in between now and the last podcast episode. Uh, our worship team was asked to play at a funeral to do a couple songs at the funeral. This would be at our church, and since it's a funeral, obviously you want you want it to go well. You want it to you want to you want to be respectful. You want to you want to make sure that um, everything goes according to plan. Um, but since the viewing was going to be before the service, um, there'd be people in the sanctuary for at least. You know, couple hours before the actual service started when the worship was going to start um i think the i think the service started if if i remember correctly i think it started at one and we were supposed to be there at 12 but the viewing had already started at 11 so we were coming in and the sanctuary is full there's you know we can't really go up and do a sound check or anything because you know there's people in the congregation involved in a funeral so um it's like okay, well, no, no sound check, which is always dangerous to not have a sound check. But um, also, we didn't want to have people going up on the stage and setting their stuff up before we actually went on the platform because we didn't want to be disrupting, you know, in the background while you know having the worship team wander around doing stuff. So our worship leader is like, okay, I'll be the only one that's going to go up on the platform and get everything set up. And so I let him know, okay, for my bass, you know, make sure the instruments plugged in, make sure the, uh, the, I was using a, just a zoom B three, uh, for my, my, uh, my preamp and effects. And so I said, yeah, just make sure that's turned on and muted. And, and I'll, you know, I'll just come up with my, I'll go ahead and have my in-ears in and I'll just come in and plug into my, into the system. And, um, if it's muted, I can then quickly tune up the bass and then unmute it. And then we can go right into, to playing. And so I figure, okay, that'll, that'll work. Well, he went up there, he, he did everything. Now, as there's, as you know, in ears have, at least on mine, they've got a eighth inch jack on them, and that eighth inch jack, in order to plug them into the headphone out on our P16, which is like an Avalon Aviom equivalent by Behringer uh, personal monitoring system, that's going to be a quarter inch. So there's always, I always, every single time I go to church, there is always, I leave it there, there's an eighth inch to quarter inch jack that uh, is plugged in, ready to go. It's always there. Of course, when we go up to play and uh, I get my, get the bass, put it on, okay, tune, unmute, go to plug in my in-ears, and where is the eighth inch to quarter inch adapter jack? Where is it? I'm looking all around. It is not there. The only time, I can't tell you how many times I've been to sound check, and it's always been there. It's not there. So that means I ain't got nothing to listen. I can't listen to my bass. I got nothing to use to hear myself play because since the band all plays through in-ears, but the singers do, they don't use in-ears, so they actually have the monitors on, floor monitors for the singers, but they don't put all the instruments through it. There's definitely no real bass. I don't think there's any bass at all going on on through the, the floor monitors. So the only bass is really going through the system, but without your... 
up on the platform, it just gets lost in the mix. There's no way you can hear yourself play, but I was kind of forced to, okay, leave the in-ears out and, and just try and play by memory. So, uh, my wife was, was out in the uh, congregation. So she said that bass sounded fine. So I guess that, <laughs> I guess I knew the songs well enough to, to just, uh, fake it, but, uh, that's never fun when you can't hear yourself play and you're trying to do your best for, uh, for, uh, you know, for a funeral, it's, uh, you want to, you want to be respectful for the family and for the person that you're honoring. And whew, that's, uh, that's always a scary situation, but made it, uh, apparently I sounded okay. And, uh, but that's just, that's just proof that the one time, the one time, the one time that you don't check something, that's when it bites you. versus fretted bass fretless bass in worship i have a fretless bass along with two fretted basses i used to use the fretless bass a lot actually that was the main bass guitar that i used on the worship team probably for the first uh, three or four years i was on the team and well no actually i take that back uh, probably the first year on the worship team. And then I, I went from my fretless uh, Stingray to my fretted Stingray. And then the fretted Stingray, I pretty much played for like the next four years or so. And then I started switching back to using my Fender Jazz. And that's primarily kind of like my main bass is the Fender Jazz. Um, just because I like the 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 fretboard on it a lot more than the fretboard on the music man's they're a little bit tight for my hands um, whereas the the fender jazz is a little bit more spaced out which i i just tend to like it a little bit better feels better in my hands and um so anyway but um i really love 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 the sound of my stingray basses they have a fantastic sound and it's different from the the jazz bass they both have their strengths and weaknesses but the uh the the fretless bass is well it's a lot of fun so what i wanted to do in this segment is talk about the fretted bass versus the fretless bass basically about a year or two ago one of the first videos i did on the worship blender video channel and if you haven't gone to and checked out the worship blender video channel just go to youtube and do a search for worship blender and you'll find it this particular video that i did has the title of fretted versus fretless bass and it's got a lot of views. It's been a pretty popular video on the channel. So uh, this is I'm kind of referring back to this uh, this video. And um, basically, I talk about the, the differences between the fretted and the fretless, obviously. Um, and so um, one of the so one of the first things I wanted to mention, because I know a lot of people are interested in the fretless bass, but maybe they don't have access to a fretless bass near them to, to go try out in a store somewhere. I know it's harder to find fretless basses in, in bass stores, especially if you're in a more rural area like I am. So uh, you want to get some information online about the fretless bass and the kind of know you know, what it's going, what the difference is, what it's going to be like to play it. Uh, I think that's a big thing. And obviously you've got to have your fingers in the right spot when you play a fretless because there's, there's, 
no frets to, to kind of cheat with. <laughs> a lot of people will say, hey, you have a lined fretless bass, so you're cheating. And I can say, well, you've got a fretted bass, so you're cheating <laughs> because the frets are basically a cheat because you can put your fingers anywhere within that uh, that space between the, the, the two frets and, and your finger's going to, you know, whether you're playing far back or far ahead, you're still going to get the same the same tone or the same pitch because of the fret is telling the uh, string exactly where to place the pitch. So with a with a fretless bass, I, I play a line fretless, and um, obviously a lot of fretless basses don't have lines. So whichever is fine. I mean, I've played a little bit of cello. I'm I'm not good at all. I, don't, I could play like Mary had a little lamb on it. Um, maybe a little bit better than that, but yeah, I I didn't spend too long with a cello. But um, and that obviously doesn't have doesn't have lines on it, but you kind of learn pretty quickly where your fingers need to go on the line fretless bass. Also, I kind of know where my finger needs to go in relation to the line, because sometimes depending on the conditions that I'm playing in, um, sometimes as we know, basses can go a little bit flat or sharp depending on how cold the environment is and different factors like that. Um, so, you know, even if I tune the bass and then it starts going a little little sharper usually when when i play it'll go a little bit flat as it warms up um so usually i'll i'm getting off on a tangent here but usually i'll 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 tune my guitars just a little bit sharp so that as i start playing them in the in the in the bass and strings warms up and kind of loosens up then it'll kind of flatten into tune so to speak but on a fretless bass the point i'm trying to make here with that is that the you can place your finger anywhere on the string so you can actually adjust where the actual pitch is so if you're a little if your string overall is a little sharp or flat you can compensate for that uh, because you don't have frets and you can place your finger anywhere in order to uh, to get the pitch that you need now it does take having a good ear which i'm not entirely blessed with the best ear of being able to know exactly how to play in order to have that perfect intonation um, I can tell when I'm a little off. Um, sometimes I can't tell exactly where I need to be pitch wise, um, especially if I'm playing by myself. Um, and that's where it's it, to me, it's not it's not fun for me to play a, a, my fretless bass by myself. I usually don't practice on it a lot because of that reason. Um, whereas if I'm playing within a group context and I'm and so obviously there's, you know, like there's a keyboard part playing chords, then it's a lot easier to, to go, okay, yeah, I'm in, I'm in tune with that now by this is where my finger is on the fretboard. Yeah, I can hear that, that, that sounds right. Um, so it's a little harder when you're playing by yourself in my opinion, but, uh, whatever. So in your finger, you know, you can have your finger on the string and, and you can move it a little bit back and forth and go a little bit sharper flat just by 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 turning your finger i know you can't see any visuals of what i'm doing here but if you hold your it's basically like vibrato so you you can actually move your finger back and forth get a little bit vibrato just like you can on a, on a cello or a violin or something like that um, so little adjustments to your fingers can have a big impact on the actual pitch of the of the instrument so really takes a lot of good technique in order to make sure that you're not playing out of tune but as to whether it's harder to play I wouldn't say no other you know if you've got good technique and you're you're placing your fingers 
pretty close, you know, where you need, where you know they need to be, you kind of learn to make the adjustments and, and to kind of adapt to it. And um, so it's really not harder to play. And actually, I would make the case that it's actually a little bit easier to play in, in some ways because I play a fretless bass now. I, I, I get out my fretless bass when my hand starts hurting because... I have, I tend to have issues with tendonitis and as I get older too, it, um, you just, you have to fight against that more and, and be careful not to, uh, to overdo, uh, over wear out your hands. And so I'm very careful on making sure I don't over practice. Um, I would love to practice more than I do, but if I do, then I'm, I'm going to flare up my hands. So, um, when I start feeling like I'm, I'm playing too much, but yet I still am committed to, to being there on a Sunday and playing a service, and then I might just get out the fretless bass because it's going to be less tension on my hands. And you're probably wondering, well, well, well why is that? That's because the fretless bass, you, when you've got a fretted bass, you're pushing down on the string against the frets. So you're kind of like, you're putting a little bit more force down to make sure you're not too loose on the strings and you're getting fret buzz and whatnot you want to you kind of want to make sure you have enough pressure there to hold that string down against the fret but um on my fretless bass and i do have pretty low action which i know can impact the tone and and things like that and maybe having a little bit higher action might give me a little bit better tone but i tend to have pretty low action where i just barely am touching the string and it's touching up against the fretboard and that's pretty much i I don't feel like i have to push harder in order to make sure i don't get any buzz because i don't have any frets of course still get some buzz off the fretboard itself but it's not the same as frets so i just feel like i don't have to push the string down as hard so it's a very easy gentle touch and uh, so I actually find that uh, it, it's helpful for me. I can play a lot longer on a fretless bass without fatigue because of that. And also if my hands are hurting, I feel like uh, it's just easier on my hands playing a fretless bass. So that's something to think about if you suffer from tendonitis or just your hands stressing out, your tendons getting sore easily, then definitely getting a fretless bass is, is a good option because it can potentially help you play a little bit longer um, extend your, your bass playing years possibly, or, or at least give you, give you some more uh, options to work with there. I would recommend playing with a tuner when you first uh, get a fretless bass. Hook up the tuner and uh, just play it. And when when you hit a note, depending on how good the tracking on your tuner is, it might be a little, sl- a little slow, might be a little fast. Uh, hopefully it's fast enough where you can you can play a note and quickly see what the note is and if you're sharp or flat and you can kind of start using that to start adjusting your playing technique to see how how well you're doing and in in it you don't want to necessarily send again since depending on how how sharp or flat your the strings are tuned your position on the fretboard might change a little from one you know one practice to another from one uh, session to another, one gig to another, one uh, whatever. It, it can change a little bit. So you don't want to memorize the exact placement on the fretboard where you're placing your finger. You have to use your ear in order to adjust uh, and compensate for where the actual pitch is. So what you can do to start off when you start playing a fretless is you can run it through your tuner and you can play it and not real, not be looking okay i've got my finger where i need to be instead listen think okay i think this is exactly where i need to be 
pitch wise and then you can look at your tuner and see how on or off you are and so over time that can kind of help you to get some better uh, some get your ears a little bit more adjusted uh, or actually test I guess you could say it's grading your ears to see how good your ears are by looking against the tuner and seeing what the tuner says so that's a one little trick that you can do what I do find when playing a fretless bass is that I, I have to look at my hands a lot more than when I'm playing a fretted because, you know, you, precision-wise, you have to be more right on the bass, uh, on the right spot on the, on the fretboard. You don't have that tactile feedback you get from the frets, and so you kind of really have to focus on where your hand is on the fretboard unless you just happen to have a really fantastic ear and you can just play and hear it and know exactly where you need to go, but... I'll just admit I don't have that that good of a gifting of my ears. I have to at least be in the ballpark first and, and kind of see what I'm doing. And I think most people are like that. So when you're playing a fretless, it can be a little harder to read charts. So if I'm going into a situation where I know I'm going to be, you know, maybe I don't know the songs and I've got to, uh, like, for example, the new church, I've got a, another church that I'm playing. I have my home church on Sunday I play at, and I've got another church that I'm playing at on Wednesday, and I'm newer to, to uh, that worship team. I don't know all the songs that they're doing so sometimes I'll be going into a practice or a, or I won't know what the songs are until uh until the afternoon of Wednesday and I need to play on Wednesday night with them and and so I don't have any I know I won't have any time to practice the songs beforehand because I'm at work and I get the songs and they're songs I don't know so I know I'm going to have to read off a chart so I I haven't been using my fretless at that church because I'm reading a lot from the charts. Instead, I'm pretty much using my jazz bass because it's I can I, I cannot look at my jazz bass and know where I'm at uh, more than I, I can on that bass than on my other basses. So I can just go by feeling where I'm at with my hands and looking at the chord chart where I can't really do that with a fretless. So something to think about if you're, you know, if you're in a situation where you know all the songs going in, then yeah, fretless is, is fine. But if you're going to have to read off charts a lot, then I wouldn't advise using a fretless unless uh, you've got a lot more experience playing fretless. So what are some shortcomings of using a fretless? Well, there's pros and cons, obviously, with everything. In my experience, and I know this isn't everyone's experience because I've watched uh, bass players, especially gospel bass players, when they're playing a fretless bass and they're throwing in a lot of octaves and, and runs and it just... It, it sounds phenomenal. So obviously there's some user error here on my part. Um, but when I'm playing a fretless bass and I, I try to play octaves, it they just sound a little they just sound a little sad. <laughs> they don't, they, it just, it's like, boop, boop. they just sound these weird little noises. They don't really sound like, uh, they just don't sound good. Um, so whenever I kind of go higher up on the fretboard or, uh, you know, the example being like, you know, I call them like disco octaves where you're just kind of throwing in like, do, 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 do. And you're throwing in that. It just, it just sounds goofy. And sometimes like when I go up to a higher, uh, pitch note, then I have to be more conscious of, of the, of the intonation there. I mean, obviously on all notes, you got to be conscious of the intonation, but especially on the higher pitch notes, I am really having them come through without sounding like weird and wobbly. <laughs> You've just got to focus more on making sure those notes come across correctly. 
But definitely the coolest thing about the fretless bass is the slides. Uh, you can't play fretless bass without doing some slides. Uh, it's just so fun to be able to slide into and out of notes. And uh, yeah, it's just very addicting. And it's, it's just one of those things whenever you have the fretless bass at a rehearsal or you're at a sound check and they know you got the fretless, they're like, oh, give us a big slide. I mean, it's just people just love to hear the slides on the fretless bass. So just know that if you get a fretless bass you're gonna to have to do some slides so a funny story um, probably the first time I ever kind of was more conscious of okay that's uh, an instrument called a fretless bass where I was listening to a song and, and can know that hey that's some, there's something different there and uh, it sounds really cool and it's the bass part and, and why is that sounding so cool and different than what I normally uh, would associate a bass guitar of sounding like. And this is when I was pretty young back in, oh gosh, the 80s, if anybody actually remembers that. Um, so if uh, I was listening to Paul Young, uh, the, uh, what's the name of the song? Every time, I, every time, every time you go away, that, yeah, that's it. Every time you go away um, with the great Pino uh, Palladino playing bass on that song of course I didn't know who was playing bass on it at that time I didn't know who Pino was until years later but I remember hearing that song and just thinking wow that bass sounds so cool uh, how is he getting that sound Every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you. And then, of course, you forget about it. Years go on. And then the next time I think I really thought about, and this was, of course, before I was a bass player, I was a keyboard player at this time. So I wasn't really focusing as much on a on a bass. So just the fact that I was paying attention to something I was hearing on a bass that sounded cool was, you know, definitely means it, it caught my ear. But years later, then I remember, and only people in the South will know this reference, there was a Publix commercial. Publix is a grocery store chain here down in the, the Southeast. And they had a, a Christmas commercial and it featured a song on it that I said, wow, that sounds really cool. That sounds like, oh, I think that's that's one of those fretless basses. I think that's what I'm hearing. That's really cool. I like the sound of that. And this, this I think it was probably back in the 90s, maybe the early mid 90s when this commercial was out. And I actually have not heard or, you know, seen that commercial since, obviously. But uh, when I was putting together this this podcast segment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to Google that old uh, Publix commercial. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Sure enough, it was. And I started listening to it, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not a fretless bass. That's a guitar. <laughs>
it turns out that that song um, that was used in that Publix commercial was a song by Pat Metheny. Um, this, what's the, what's the name of the song? Um, last train home. That's what it is. And on that song, Pat Metheny is playing a, I think it's called a choral sitar. It's like a guitar sitar, guitar sitar type of uh, thing. So it kind of has that little sitari, sitari. I don't think I'm making up words now, like a sitar type sound to it. And it's, uh, but it kind of had a little bit of that fretless bass quality to it. So all these years, I'm thinking that public commercial was using a fretless bass and it's not, it was using a choral sitar, which ironically, when I was also, I pulled up the song Every Time You Go Away by Paul Young in order to kind of refresh my brain on that song for this podcast segment too. And I happened to pull up the, uh, the he, Paul Young performing it at, uh, at a Live Aid in 1985. And sure enough, the guitar player on that song was playing a choral sitar. So the only two songs that I can I'm aware of that I can tell you where a choral sitar is used on is on these two exact same songs that I, I researched for this podcast segment. I know that's completely useless information to you, but I just thought it was ironic and funny. What we're listening to. Alright, so I'm going to introduce a new segment here I'm going to do. It's called What I'm Listening To. And uh, I'm a little echoey right now because I'm out in the main room with my uh, keyboard. And I wanted to uh, show you a song that uh, really has just, I mean, it's just really caught my attention. And it's a song by, I guess the guy's name is, is Muscleman. Dan Musselman. It's uh, M-U-S-S-E-L-M-A-N. So I'm assuming that's pronounced Musselman. And so this is a guy who's a piano player and he's been doing a lot of piano versions of worship songs and they're just really and just really great. And this one particular song is King of My Heart, um, which is just really drawn me in. And it's, it's instrumental music and it's piano only. And so I've uh, I just recently got the piano uh, sheet music for it, and I've been trying to learn how to play it. And there's a lot going on in the song. Um, it starts off real nicely like this. when I was first listening to it that really got my attention and just draw drew me in was this part right here and I'm probably going to play it wrong but that's okay oops I told you there we go okay There's just something about that and, and just the melody form, even without the lyrics or anything that just, man, I've just been praising God with this song and I just absolutely love it. So if, uh, I, I don't know, where is it available? I, I guess 
I think this version, I must have heard it on Spotify. That's usually where I listen to most of my music. I know it's also, he's got a channel on YouTube. And he has all the uh, sheet music for these songs on sale on his website, too. I guess if you just do a search for Dan Musselman Piano, uh, you'll find it. I think it was also under the label of Prayer Piano, I think is what it was on, now that I think about it, on Spotify. But you're probably wondering, okay, hey, this is a, a bass guitar podcast. Why are you promoting piano? It's just because, well, it's awesome. It sounds really good. And, and as musicians, we can, we can draw from everything. And with you know, listen to so much worship songs and this, the current style, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I love worship music, but sometimes you just be able to go back and strip it all down to just the essence of the song. And I think that's what Dan is really doing on on his arrangements and on this particular one, and, and partic- this particular one in particular. Great grammar there, Brent. Um, you know what I'm trying to say. He's breaking it down and really just. Uh, really finding the real heart of the song and and the real worship in it and uh, i mean if you listen from this this his recording from start to finish i guarantee you um you potentially could be moved to tears it's just such a beautiful piece and so i recommend listening to these songs even if you're a bass player and you don't think you need to be listening to piano music listen to them because i i think and the other aspect of of this podcast is the bass guitar worship blender. So we're we're worship bass players. We're playing on worship teams. So I think this song is is a great song to listen to for getting your worship on, and that'll translate into your bass playing. It's story time again. Sometimes you got to be careful when you ask the Lord for more opportunity. Uh, you gotta be careful as to what the <laughs> what the Lord's gonna do for you, because sometimes He'll give you more than you expect. A few months back, I, me and my wife were visit, start visiting another church. Actually, going back about a year or so, we've kind of been uh, on Wednesday nights since I work in a in a well, I work farther away from my home church than is than is ideal um so it's hard to get to church on time for wednesday and it's just a lot of driving back and forth so uh, instead we've been going to this church that's on my way home from work and it's a little easier to access and it just um just kind of a, a, a fun change and one of the things i liked about this church is that their worship team i, I really liked their there's just something about their spirit and and their their talent i really liked it and I just knew that there was something unique about the piano player, and I, I really wanted to get to know this guy. I thought there, there's just something about him that I just—he's uh, really good, and I almost—I seem like I get this guy, and I, I want to get the—you know—I want to talk to him, get to know him. So, and uh, my wife really liked the the singers too; they're really good, and just. Uh, so anyway, um, we got to talking to the worship team after one of the services and introducing ourselves and. Come to find out that the uh, the keyboard player was actually a alumni of Berkeley College of Music, and he was there roughly around the same time I was. And not only that, but he was also an arranging major, which I was also an arranging major there at around the same time that he was. So we didn't remember each other from Berkeley, but um, more than likely, we probably shared some classes together. So small world. So here we are now uh, in the same little church and, and uh, same little small town and uh, talking to 
one another. So that was cool. And, and from that, I, you know, let him know I was, you know, playing on another church's worship team, but would love to come by and, you know, hang out if they would let me at one of their rehearsals because they rehearse on a different day and, uh, just kind of hang out and, you know, um, connect and, you know, if, uh, turns out they need somebody to sit in for them on a Wednesday, I, you know, I would be available for that. So they invited me and I came out and was hanging out with them at, a at their rehearsal and, uh, really a nice, nice crew. Um, and, uh, Next thing I know, not long after that, I come to find out that they're like, hey, you know, our, our Wednesday guy is moving away. So congratulations, you're our new bass player for Wednesday. <laughs> so I was just thinking of just connecting and just getting to know some more musicians, maybe have an opportunity to fill in maybe once or twice a year or whatever when the other bass player is on vacation or something like that. And next thing I know, I'm playing every Wednesday. So now I'm I'm playing for two churches. I'm playing for my home church on Sunday in this church on Wednesday. I've got a rehearsal for my home church on Monday and a rehearsal for this new church on Thursday. So my schedule has been pretty busy with that. But, uh, you know, I was just asking God for some ways to do to connect with some more musicians. Um, and so anyway, that's what he did for me. So uh, it's keeping me busy, but uh, it's not breaking me. And it's given me some more opportunity to grow and develop as a musician. So I'm very thankful for that. So sometimes just kind of reaching out and connecting with people is and, you know, asking God for those opportunities to to, to have a new opportunity will definitely lead you to something. But just uh, make sure you're you're prepared and ready for it. The Westminster Follow-Up. Last episode of the podcast, I interviewed Cody Fields of Westminster Effects. I really enjoyed that interview and hearing about the products that Cody is building and also the naming conventions of his pedals and how they came about, how he came up with those names and the, the tie-ins to, uh, to Christian history and uh, just really a fascinating interview and, and he really makes great products and I've been using the two products that we talked about in the last podcast episode. I use, I've been using both of those products for the last few few months and really enjoying them. I'll tell you really quickly how I'm using them. The two products that I'm using from him is the Westminster Effects Calvin Compressor and then also the Wittenberg Bass Preamp. And for really for the last, uh, I guess, six and a half years or so, I've been using the Zoom B3 processor, kind of an all-in-one preamp, and uh, it has amp sims and, you know, compressors and all, all the stuff that you need, overdrives and everything else. It's all in one unit. And I've been real happy with that unit. It's served me very well. I leave it at my home church and uh, other bass players that, that uh, play on the team uh, that I alternate with uh, on Wednesdays and Sundays, they, they use it too. So I just kind of keep it there at the church and, and people use it. So it's easy just to show up and plug in. And as you know, from earlier podcast episodes, I talked about how I've experimented with using plugins on the platform, which has been a lot of fun using the Amplitude, primarily the Ampeg uh, Amplitude plugin and using that for like an amp sim. And that's been a lot of fun. But um, uh, I've been 
it, the computer's been a, it has been a little bit after I bragged about it in an earlier podcast. The computer's been a, bit, a little glitchy at times, um, and I yeah so i've kind of have kind of gone back to now that i have the westminster effects i've actually kind of gone back to using the zoom b3 but using the westminster effects in front of the b3 to kind of warm it up because that was kind of the weak area even though the the zoom b3 is an awesome device um, it is digital so it doesn't quite have the uh, warmth of analog but when you're running the westminster effects prior to the b3 it actually sounds really good it kind of gives it that little extra energy that really makes uh, your tone sound really good and yeah it's one of those things where does the congregation notice no not at all but uh and that's i think all of us that are chasing tone we're we're chasing it for ourselves and really not for others because nobody else is really going to notice but us but that tone that excitement we get with good tone is is what makes us play better and get more excited about our craft and so the the westminster effects has definitely been warming up the tone and also the the preamp uh the Vinberg has been giving me a good boost for my jazz bass which has always had a weaker output and everyone else on the platform that plays bass they all use active basses my other basses are active basses and for whatever reason they just can't seem to get my gain up on the passive bass the passive jazz whenever i play that so now the the Vinberg is giving me a nice uh, gain boost and so now i'm really being heard through the system when i play my jazz bass and so that's makes me happy because um i, I like playing my jazz bass and so uh Vinberg, and the uh, Calvin compressor, uh, both have just been warming up that sound and, and giving me the, the extra punch that I need. So that's how I've been using the uh, product in the last few months. I've been also using it at uh, the second church that I play in on Wednesday nights. So I, I basically I have the I keep the B3 at my home church and then I have the, the Westminster effects on a pedal board on a small little uh, pedal train nano plus board along with a tuner and then I can just take that uh, to church, put it in front of the B3 or take it to the other church that I play at and just use the uh, Calvin compressor and the Vinberg preamp as my, uh, my signal path going to the direct box. And that helps that, you know, because at the other church, it was just basically, okay, here's a direct box plug in and there you go. And so having, having a compressor and a, a preamp in the, in the chain really, it really helps out a lot. And so, again, check them out, westminstereffects.com, and find out about their cool products, and, and they're a Christian company, so definitely one to support. Well, that's it for another episode of the Bass Guitar Worship Blender podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to go to iTunes if you're using iTunes to listen to this podcast, or even if you're not, still go to iTunes and give us a five-star review there if you like the podcast. And also remember that we have the uh, Facebook page to make sure to go there and talk about worship in your area of the world and what it's like there. Leave your experiences there. That's at facebook.com forward slash worship. No, wait, hold on. Facebook.com slash bass guitar worship blender. So thank you again for listening and God bless you.